and the hero's name is Abraham. And in this hero story, it's a father-son story, which is proliferated throughout all our culture and all our stories and our movies, uh, stories about fathers and sons. Of course, they're all imitating the great story of the greatest hero, Jesus. This story, uh, we're starting with Abraham. We're, we're going to be looking through the Old Testament for the next 11 weeks, looking at about uh, 11 heroes uh, from the Old Testament. And we're kind of skipping over a few guys there at the beginning. Uh, and mainly because the New Testament really talks a lot about Abraham. So it's not that uh, we don't want to look at Adam and Eve or Noah and the flood or the Tower of Babel or some of those uh, really cool events in the beginning. But uh, we're going to pick up right after those events with Abraham. And the reason that the New Testament seems to pull out Abraham and talk about him is because he is a hero of the faith. And often he's called the father of faith. And he's really the first character who really distinguishes the difference between religion and faith, religion and the gospel. You see, religion says, hey, do this, do that, uh, do this list, and then jump through this hoop, and then God might accept you. That's religion. Faith says God accepts you in Christ Jesus. Believe it. And then because of that, there's this wonderful response that works in us that follows that, that whole thing of, man, I, I can't believe you just did this for me, Lord. And I want to I wanna live for the one who did this for me. So that's the difference. And Abraham is the first, first to really distinguish that. And he's known also as the friend of God. And I don't know about you. I, I know a few people that, uh, some friends who have famous friends. And, you know, it's always cool to talk to them and say, well, you know, what did Michael Jordan say? Or what did, uh, you know, Charles Barkley say? Or what did Bono say? Or what, when did you ha- last hang out with them? And, you know, it's kind of cool to hear those stories. Well, what if it was known that you were friends with God? You know, when people come up to you and say, man, when's the last time you talked to him? What did he tell you? Oh, yeah, what's the last thing you did with God? You know, wouldn't it be cool to be known as God's friend? Or better yet, that not that you were a name dropper or you said that you were his friend, but you really weren't, but that he said, yeah, you're my friend. I think that's the thing that I desire and I think all of us want. And, and so that's why we're looking at Abraham here first because he has a living faith because it, it's a living faith that makes you a friend of God, not religion. And so uh, this living faith of Abraham is really displayed in three main events that I want to show you. And Abraham's life is, is recorded in the book of Genesis from Genesis uh, 12 uh, to 25. And what we want to look at is just three things. His calling, look at the covenant that God made with him, and then the sacrifice. Three things from Genesis 12, Genesis 15, and Genesis 22. And so first, just want to take a look at the call recorded in Genesis 12. I want to read this. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation, and I'll bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. 
So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot, his nephew, went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions that they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. The Canaanites were there in the land, but the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give you this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel, pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Well, Abraham's call. God tells him to leave when most people are ready to settle down. How old is Abram? 75 years old. That's an old man. That's when you're ready to retire. Not to go on a big trip and a journey, an adventure. But God calls him at this point. At this point in Abram, Abram's life, he has no children. Sarah, his wife, has been barren. And uh, really, his extended family has become his family. Uh, his brother, uh, which was Lot's father, has died. And so Lot has no father. And it kind of seems that there's a special bond between Abram and Lot. And so uh, Abram is kind of uh, there with his family. He's, uh, his father, he's there living with his father, Terah, uh, in the land called Ur, a city called Ur. It's near the Persian Gulf, which is, you know, from here, uh, like if, you know, someone said, okay, leave here and go to San Antonio, Texas, that would be about the same distance as someone saying to Abraham and Ur, go to the land of Canaan. And uh, it was quite a distance. Now, the thing that God seems to be saying is, Abram, do you love me? Do you love me enough to leave those things that you love that are less? God's call to Abram was a test of his love. What was the call? Leave your country. Leave your people Leave your father's household. And, and this is a thing that Abraham is commended for in Hebrews 11.8. It says that he did not know where he was going, but he set out. He left. He wasn't sure where this land of Canaan was, but he, he started going, started trekking across. And in fact, he landed in a place called Haran. It wasn't quite Canaan. He hadn't quite gotten there. We don't know where exactly Haran is today. Uh, it may have been halfway, it may have been a quarter way, it may have been three-fourths of the way, but it wasn't Canaan. And the other thing is that when Abraham left Ur, he left with his dad and a lot of his family. He didn't leave his father's household like God told him to. And he didn't quite make it to, to Canaan. But guess what? God is merciful. And what Abraham couldn't do for himself, God did. It was there in Haran that, that Terah, his father, died. And so then Abraham then continued when God repeated his call to him, saying, go to the land of Canaan. And we get a little insight into this in Acts 7, where we're told a little more about this little stopover in Haran. And then God saying, no, you're not quite there. And that's the thing is that God is merciful to us when he calls us to follow him. Sometimes we get settled. And we end up short of where he wants us, where we, we're supposed to be, where God wants us to be. But God repeats his call to us. And he helps us do what we cannot do ourselves. And God did the same with Abraham. He wouldn't let him stop or rest short of Canaan. 
So now I told you that this is a father-son story. So how is the father-son story shown in the call? Well, it wasn't just leave, but it was also, I'm going to bless you, Abraham. And part of this blessing was a blessing of a family. Now, I don't know if you, some of you guys who are married remember when your wife first told you that she was pregnant. I don't know if you remember what that felt like. If you remember the shock, the joy, maybe the fear, maybe the elation that you felt when you knew that your wife was expecting a child. But God's call came with that kind of shock and surprise to Abraham, a man who was 75 years old, whose wife was maybe 10 to 15 years younger, the barren, and saying that, Abraham, you're going to have a great family, a great people group. It's going to become a great nation. And I'm sure Abraham was like cleaning out his ears, kind of going, are, are you telling me I'm, I'm going to be a daddy? I'm going to have a son. I'm going to have grandchildren and great-grandchildren. That's what you're telling me. And God, even though this was fantastic, amazing news, God had to even reassure Abraham when he reached the land of Canaan and said, it's to your offspring that are going to inherit this land. Now, this is fantastic news not only for Abraham, but it's fantastic news for the world. Because, you see, God is not just announcing to Abraham that he's going to have children. God is announcing the coming of his son, Jesus Christ. You see, the descendants of Abraham, several generations after, is David. And we know that through David comes the Messiah. Several generations after, there comes a young lady named Mary, who's a descendant of David, who's a descendant of Abraham. And it's through Mary that God sends his son. He's initiating his mission with Abraham right here, right now, at the very beginning, Genesis chapter 12. The mission has begun, and it starts with Abraham. And just like Abraham, we're called, but this reflects a greater call, the call of Jesus. You see, Jesus, he had to leave behind the country he was from, heaven. And it was a far better country there than here. And he left behind a great family fellowship, the fellowship of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which was perfect and they had no need of anything, but they left so that they can include us into that great fellowship and so that he could bless all people. So that's the first part of Abraham and his story, the call. The second part of Abraham's story and this father-son story is the covenant, which is in Genesis chapter 15. Fast forward about 10 years. Abraham is 85 years old. Uh, his father has died. He's moved on to the land of Canaan. And while in Canaan, God, through some circumstances, separated he and Lot. So now he finally is, has left his father's household and he's alone. But in the process, he's had to do a rescue mission. He's had to rescue his nephew Lot. Uh, in that, he defeated five kings, raiding kings. And in that, he's made some allies with some other kings in the land. He's amassed great wealth, uh, servants, and he's got a great reputation in the land. But there's something bugging Abraham. He's not happy with these things. So Genesis 15. Mm, let me catch up with the screens here. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham. After all these victories, all this amassing of wealth, and God says to Abraham in a vision, 
Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abraham said, oh, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? Since the one who will inherit my state is Elizar of Damascus, someone who's not even related to me. And Abram said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Abram, look up at the stars. See if you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abram, in that moment where he was despairing, believed. Believed the Lord, and the Lord credited it to him as righteousness. And God also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And God initiates this sacrifice to mark his covenant. See, after this victory, Abraham was still not satisfied. He had all these wealth, reputation, friends. But God came to him and said, Abraham, guess what? There are better things in store for you. There's more to come. And he says, I am your reward. I am the one who is enough. You have me. But you know what? In that moment, Abram was a bit disappointed in God. It had been 10 years since the promise of a son. And he was beginning to despair. And you know, despair is when faith is about to be snuffed out. But in this moment, God says to Abram, look up. Look at the stars. And Abram looks up, and he can't count them. God says, that's how many descendants I'm going to give you, how many children. And Abraham, in that moment, in that moment when faith is about to be snuffed out, Abram believes. And God says, I'll credit that to you as righteousness. It's the first time in the Bible those words ever appear. The first time believe ever appears, and the first time credit ever appears. And it's as if God says Abraham has an account, and he puts something in it that makes Abram right with God. And then Abram, he asks, God, how can I know that what you're saying to me, that this blessing is really going to happen? I mean, it's been 10 years. And God does something incredible. He makes a promise. And not just a promise, but a, a super promise. And the word for that super promise in the Old Testament is covenant. And God makes this covenant in a way that is done uh, in that culture. And it's called the cutting of a covenant. And it was something that was done between men in those days when they made an agreement. And they did this. They would take an animal or several animals and they would cut them in half. It was really quite gross and horrible and bloody. And they would rip these animals in two and lay them on the ground, one half on each side with a small pathway between The men would make their agreement in word, and then they would walk through the pathway between these animals. And the idea was this, was that if one of those men did not keep their word, then they should become like one of those animals. They should be ripped in two. That was what they were saying. I will keep my word, or else I should be like these animals, torn in two. 
Now, the interesting thing is that God takes this man-made covenant and makes it his own. And he makes a covenant with Abram. And he says, and he tells, and he puts Abraham in a sleep. And you know who walks between the animals through those halves, who cuts the covenant? God does. Abraham doesn't. Usually a covenant was a two-person thing. But in this case, God does it alone. As if to say, you know what, Abraham? You're, you're not sufficient to be able to hold this covenant together. And this covenant is really dependent upon me and not upon you. And God, in a sense, in saying that I am your reward, Abraham, saying that he is enough for Abraham was saying to Abraham, I am Jehovah Jireh. I am God, your provider. And Abraham waits another 13 years. And at 99 years old, his wife, Sarah, who's maybe 10 to 15 years longer, younger, gives birth to a son. And they call him Isaac because it brings him much laughter. Now, how does this covenant point to Christ? Well, God makes his covenant with man through sacrifice. And of course, the great sacrifice of all, the most great sacrifice is, the, is Jesus at the cross. And you see, it's the same way as this covenant that God made with Abraham. It's not dependent upon us. It's dependent upon him. He is the one that holds the covenant of the cross together. He initiates it, and we simply believe. God is telling us that he, what he has done at the cross is sufficient. It's enough. You don't have to do any more. You don't have to jump through any more hoops. Believe it. So the question for us from the story, this father-son story of Abraham and the covenant is are we still longing for one more thing? Have we really rested in the sufficiency of what Christ has done at the cross? Is he really our reward? Are we satisfied in that? Well, fast forward another 10 to 13 years and we come to Genesis 22 and Isaac has grown into a young boy and it's here at this point that God asks Abraham to do something that no one would ever imagine God to ask. Sometime later, God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. And early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried a fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And when they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar, the top of the wood. 
Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out from from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Well, at one point in Abraham's life, when he first called him, it seemed like God was asking, Abraham, do you love me more than your father? Do you love me more than your native land? And now it seems like God is asking Abraham, Abraham, do you love me more than your only son? And specifically, your son whom you love, your only son, not, a, not an animal, not a servant, not Ishmael, but the son born with the promise. Can you imagine some of the objections that would have been going on in Abraham's mind? I mean, just, God, what, what are you telling me to do? Haven't you said that it's wrong to kill a person who's made in your image? That a man who takes another man's life will have to pay with his own life? Is that what will happen to me? I'll take the life of my son and then I'll have to pay and die also? Is this what you're asking me, God? And then I'm sure he was just going, God, how does this jive with the promise that this, through this son I'm going to have many descendants? if I'm to kill him and he's going to die. And then I'm sure the other thing that was going through his mind was just how can I face Sarah again? It's her only child, the only child of her womb. She'll be crushed. It'll crush her her trust in me. It'll be over between us. It'll crush her faith in God. And then you know, thinking of all those altars to God that he built all over the land of Canaan, attesting to God's faithfulness to him. What would the Egyptians, what would the Canaanites think of Abraham's God, the God who asked him to kill his son? But yet Abraham was sure that God had commanded him to do this. And it wasn't a delusion. This couldn't be the end of the father-son story. And we get a little bit of insight from the New Testament in Hebrews eleven, seventeen through 19. It says that Abraham knew that God had promised him this. It was with a covenant. God said, if I don't keep this covenant, may I be torn apart like these animals. That through this son, you will have many offspring. And so it says that Abraham reasoned that God must be able to raise Isaac from the dead. And so with that thought, Abraham gets up the next morning after God tells him to do this, and he deliberately leaves, takes the servants with him, deliberately says, hey, we're going up to the mountain to worship. We'll be back, saying we, not I. And he tells the servants to wait there at the foot of the mountain. And then he deliberately collects wood, and he places it on his son's back, And as his son is carrying the wood up the mountain, that will be the burnt offering sacrifice, the fire that will carry, Isaac asks his father this question, Dad, 
I see we got the fire. I see you got the torch. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham, either out of amazing faith or out of just simple submission, said to his son, God himself will provide a lamb. And you know, the most heart-wrenching thing, I think, in this story is that Abraham, it says that Abraham bound his son and laid him on the altar. And Isaac didn't fight him. I mean, he, he was big enough to carry this wood on his back. He was big enough to fight an elderly man off. He could have run away very easily, but he didn't. He submitted to his father, Abraham, and he laid his life down. Genesis 22, 8, when God says he'll provide a lamb, well, he does. And you guys know the rest of the story. God stops Abraham's upraised hand. God provides a ram. God called himself provider to Abraham once upon a time, said, I am your reward. I'm enough. But now Abraham says it with his own mouth. He says, you are provider. You are Jehovah Jireh. You are enough, God. You are sufficient. And it ends with a happy ending, a great father-son story. But I want to tell you that it reflects a greater father-son story. You know what? God has called you just like he's called Abraham. He's called you to leave for a better country. He's called you to leave for heaven. Are you going to follow him there? Are you going to get up and go? God has called you to leave what you love for a greater love for him. Will those things in your life become lesser loves for the greater love of Jesus Christ? You know what? God has guaranteed his blessing. He's not only called you to follow him, but he says, I'll give you the blessing of life and of heaven. And I'll guarantee it with a blood covenant, the cross. You see, at that cross, it should have been you walking to that sacrifice. It should have been you carrying the wood on your back to the altar of sacrifice. But you know what? The Father knows that you are not sufficient to keep this covenant. And Jesus walked alone the way of suffering. He is the one who carries the weight of the covenant and it's dependent upon him. You know what? God the Father has provided another lamb who has carried the wood on his back, the cross. And that lamb, the Son of God, willingly laid down his life on the cross. No one took it from him. And he did it out of submission to his father because he loved his father. And Jesus' flesh was pierced. It was torn for you while you were spiritually asleep, just like Abraham was put to sleep. And Jesus cut a new covenant walking the way of suffering. And it was a horrible, bloody sacrifice. But it was totally sufficient. And I just want you to know that anything you offer in sacrifice and obedience to God, it is pleasing to him. But I want you to know it's not sufficient. It's not enough. What you offer, what you bring to the table is not enough. It may be pleasing to God, but it's not enough. You know what was enough? The cross. That's the only thing that was sufficient to forgive you and to make that promise good 
as delivered. And you know, on the night before he was betrayed, Jesus sat with his disciples and he took some bread and he said, this is my flesh. And then he tore it in two. Just like that covenant with Abraham, those animals that were torn in two. And then he took a cup that was sitting there that was symbolically set at every Passover table, a cup that was set there for the coming Messiah. And usually it was never touched during the Passover meal because the Messiah had not yet come. But you know what? Jesus grabbed that cup and he took it, signifying that he was the Messiah. And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant that I'm making with you. This is my blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of many. And you know what? If you believe that father-son story, the gospel, the way that Abraham believed, God will credit what was done at the cross to you. As righteousness, you'll be made right with God. And you know what? It'll be sufficient to save your soul. And the wonderful thing about that is that it brings us into a new relationship with him. And we'll, just like Abraham, be called a friend of God. In fact, that's what Jesus told his disciples that night. He said, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. Because I've made everything known. The Father's made known to me, made it known to you. And that's the father-son story set out for you. I'm going to pray the guys are going to come up. They're going to play a song. But I want to I hope and pray that there's a desire in you to keep following, keep trusting, even though, man, maybe it's been 10 years, maybe it's been 20 years, but like Abraham, you're hanging on to that promise. And I want you to know it's good as delivered. And maybe you haven't started that journey. You haven't started out that journey of faith. But I want you to know that the Lord is calling you to start it, to go out for a place you've never been, to pack your bags for a place you haven't been to, and to start walking with him, to walk by faith and not by sight. Heavenly Father, in this next few moments, I pray, Lord, that you continue to increase our faith, Lord, that we might have faith to follow you and to trust you, to believe like Abraham believed in what you did for us at the cross. Thank you, Lord, that you are sufficient and that what you've done is sufficient for us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.